spoke on that. He lurked in the shadows, waiting and hoping she wouldn't take a different room. This was a usual room. He knew that. He knew her. Ghost of Me, the new book by Amanda Steele, can be found at Amazon, Kobo, Waterstones, and many, many other places. Hi guys, it's Andy N. Thanks today for downloading or streaming yet another episode of Spoken Label. As you may or may not be aware, Spoken Label was started in the beginning of 2006, and currently we have well over 150 sessions recorded and sent. Although you can find it on various networks, the full archive is available for streaming and downloading at Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com it is a free download or free stream in there but obviously if you feel like chucking me a few pennies that way it'd be eternally grateful to help me keep this podcast going and keep improving my equipment etc enjoy speak to you soon bye bye spoken label hi guys and the end spoken label back in the house again this is going to be one of these sessions today because we've already had a cock up here and in studios um, unfortunately, I didn't press the record button here, so me and this lovely young gentleman I'm talking to at the moment, I've just realised six minutes into the chat, I'm on to several topics, that's we're going to have to do it again. Apologies, Paul. Now, he's um, the gentleman in question. He's <laughs> a lovely young gentleman, Paul, Paul McNamara, and I got talking to Paul last week or so after contacting somebody else, and he liked the look of spoken him and contacted me, and he's, he's been through chatting since then. And he's got some great stories to tell us, Paul, so... Do you want to tell everybody, Paul, again for the second time? <laughs> you are. Uh, obviously, where you come from, and obviously, where did all your creativity start from originally? Sorry about this, mate. <laughs> no bother, any. I think it was a good practice run. Eased us into it there the first time round. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. My name is Paul McNamara, and I'm from Limerick, Ireland. And I'm a writer, performer, spoken word poet, um, who's doing, you know, getting to perform a lot has been for me last around Ireland and just, um, as we were saying earlier, currently trying to finish up a PhD in English in Limerick, which is driving me slightly crazy, but we're getting there, making progress, going well. Yeah, it's a funny one, guys. Like I said, um, when you're trying to, look, trying to do things like this at the moment, and we're in both countries are in lockdown, it's somewhat really, really, like quite, you have to do things in a very, very different way, aren't you? So, so I've got friends that are doing degrees and stuff at the moment. And the last two or three months of a degree, they're not allowed in the college building now. I'm happy to do all of them at home and really quite. I think it's you learn to study in a very different way, don't you? And you have to do all of them at home, I suppose, to yourself at the moment. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre and it's kind of just a little bit like it's not too bad for me at the moment, thankfully, because I wasn't doing lectures or anything at the moment or, you know, I wasn't taking classes. So a lot of it was kind of just doing my own work anyway. But it's weird not to have other people around you or not to have that space you can go that's not, you know, your house. <laughs> we can yeah, actually... yeah. No, it does. It's like, it's gonna, things are going to change a lot of studies, everything going forward now, certainly in both our countries, aren't they? So, but yeah. Now, in relation to yourself, obviously, um, as we discussed before, <laughs> 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 one. But um, I know, obviously, you told me you start all this when you much younger didn't you really you've been writing to you were like you're very very young weren't you so yeah, tell people about that it. then i want to tell people want you to tell people about your play story as well 
<laughs> yeah, like I remember I loved like I loved writing since five, six years old, everything. Um, so saying I was that that kid in school who just loved getting, you know, that assignment to write a story or write a poem when everyone else was groaning. Um, and I kind of, you know, all up through childhood, through teenager, I was always kind of writing. Um, wasn't really doing much with it, but just kind of enjoying the process, the experience of writing. And then once I started college in um, MIC in Limerick, um, my first, I think, two weeks into my starting college, a friend of mine wanted to go to audition for a play, um, but she didn't want to go alone. So she dragged me along to the auditions as well. And at the end of the day, I ended up being cast in it and she didn't, which caused not too much tension. But <laughs> Oops, that's, been, that's been the word in it. So <laughs> good, one. good one. But also like, Obviously, through when you went to college and stuff like that, I know you're telling me, weren't you, before that you've, you've studied or lived in New York for three months on an exchange program. So tell people about that thing. Because obviously, like I know Limerick and I know I don't know New York, but I've got a friend that lives in from New York, and the two vastly different sort of cities, aren't they? So your case, you must stepped off that plane. It must have been a case of, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, like New York is a small bit bigger than Limerick. Just a small little bit. Slightly <laughs> um, bigger, isn't it? Slightly taller. Slightly bigger. <laughs> but um, like Limerick is great as well, but it's definitely New York is kind of its own beast. And um, I got a great opportunity through Erasmus Plus and my and the college and my C Limerick to do an exchange program. So they pretty much send me to New York City, to Manhattan to live for three months um, with most of the expenses paid as well. Um, wow. so Incredible opportunity. Um, you were saying before you, you you were staying with two musicians, weren't you? So, like, um, yeah. wow. just being surrounded by that. And um, like my first night there, um, I didn't say this last time. One of my housemates was like, um, "Oh yeah, my friend's going playing in Carnegie Hall tonight. I'm going to go see him." Um, and just like, "Do you want to come? I have a free ticket." And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no bother. Wow. Wow, so it's, just, it's an experience, like, isn't it? I know you told to the point where you performed your poetry over there as well, didn't you? So during an open mic night in obviously in East New York, wasn't it? So what's that experience like for you reading your work in a different country? Yeah, it was so cool. I got to go to the um, New Eureka Poetry Cafe in New York City in East Manhattan, which is kind of, I think, like the home of performance poetry in New York. Um, and it was just, it was a really cool experience, a really different experience because I suppose a lot of my work is kind of comedy based and a lot of the jokes that hit well in Ireland kind of just got silence in there. But then some of the stuff that nobody laughs at here got great, la like got loads of laughs over there. It's just that kind of different culture. It shows you, shows you, really. like obviously we both speak English and American obviously is a version of English, mm -hmm. but the humor is what's in one area doesn't always transcribe to another, does it? So that's one that you can learn off that straight away. No, right. I would have come back buzzing after being in there for three months, and it must be like really hard to get back to go back to Ireland and Limerick after that. Then probably was. <laughs> like it was kind of nice to go back to not having you know a million people around you all the time, but I kind of miss it at the same time. Kind of miss that buzz. Oh yeah, I know it's such a busy, private city. Like Manchester, where I am, we're the third, second or third biggest city in England, but the part I'm in is fairly quiet. So like I can, I will see people who step outside, but it's not much. I've got under a lot. I've got under millions of people in my face all the time. <laughs> too much. Now, obviously, since you've come back to Ireland, then I'm curious to know more about your time in Ireland's Got Talent. 
<laughs> you were talking about that before. You were hinting a little bit, saying that. Yeah, the... that was that was an experience. Um, it's funny because the first time I ever performed poetry on stage was actually Limerick's Got Talent. Oh yeah, yeah. It was the start of my <laughs> illustrious <laughs> career, um, and it was funny. Cause it was like just this dumb luck thing. I tried it, got like last minute application, and did the semi-finals and got kicked out straight away and then got like asked back as a wild card and ended up like winning Limerick Scott Talent, my shiny game. <laughs> well done, mate. <laughs> but then a couple of years later, it's like I've been doing a lot of kind of competitions and stuff in Ireland and had kind of, you know, some went really well, some you had good nights, you had bad nights. And then I saw there was an application out for Ireland's Scott Talent. So pretty much same thing, same company as Britain's Scott Talent. Um, so I was like, screw it put in an application and um, producers came back and they're like, yeah, we're really interested. We want to, want to try you out. We want to get you up there. Um, yeah, they were really nice. They kind of, they wanted a very specific kind of poem and I ended up having to kind of write something for it. Um, they kept hinting that they were like, ah, oh, you know, we'd really love it if it was kind of inspirational. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Oh yeah. But yeah, you go and you end up, um, it was up in Drahada or like you have to arrive there at seven o'clock in the morning and you're there for like 14 hours before you actually go on stage and they're doing all the recordings and the video recordings and I will say like all the staff there are lovely but um yeah ended up up on stage with Louis Walsh was a judge and um Michelle Fissage I think from that RuPaul show um uh, Jason Byrne who's an Irish comedian and um, a West End actress whose name I can't remember. So I really should. Oh wow! It was an interesting is, experience. <laughs> is it? Is this on TV? If people want to track it down, is it? I think YouTube? it's on. It was on YouTube. I think it might still be on YouTube. I'm not really sure. Uh, <laughs> I kind of hope not. So. <laughs> but um, I'll look on YouTube, everyone. Then <laughs> look at the work nowadays. Yeah, oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, like it was really like it was. It got. I didn't get through. Unfortunately, got not to spoil it, um, but I got some positive feedback and it was the big, like it was a think thousand people in the audience, which oh. is probably the biggest crowds I've ever done. Oh yeah, that's a lot of people. And after a couple of people. festivals, I've had 2,000 people or 1,000, one, 2,000 people is a lot of people. When you get to a size of crowd like that, then it starts getting great. You start thinking, oh my God. <laughs> Don't you literally yeah. like, you're thinking, what have I done? <laughs> wow. But, um, but it was a fun experience, something different, and um, got to put it went up live on TV as well, and um, we put some strange background music on in post production. So don't blame me for that. <laughs> Typical that one, mate. So now, obviously, oh, cool. in relation to yourself, I know obviously you've done two poetry plays as well, haven't you? And you've written and performed two plays, which are Quarterlife Crisis and Hello, My Name Is Single which you took care of describing as a mixed combination of poetry and theatre. Now, where did these come from, these two plays? Yeah, like, the first one, um, Quarter Life Crisis, actually kind of came from doing all of these competitions. And I'm sure mm. the people listening, or a lot of people listening, have been to a lot of open mic poetry nights and maybe even some, like, slam poetry competitions. And I was doing a lot of those. Um, but it kind of got to the stage where I was like, you know, having three minutes to connect with an audience and tell all these stories didn't feel like enough time. Um, so I wanted to kind of, you know, have a try at 
telling a bigger story and kind of maybe having more time to connect with an audience because I really love the kind of performance side of writing as well. Um, so I decided to give it a go and I ended up writing a play that was about an hour long, um, Quarter Life Crisis, which was kind of me telling the story of doing all of these competitions and kind of starting off in being a performance poet or just a poet, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it was very much kind of a silly, funny kind of show. Um, and it was just really cool experience of, you know, getting to be in a room and like it was fringe festivals mostly I was performing at. So you have maybe 20, 30, 40 people but just having an hour to spend with that group of people was really fun and how you could implement those poems into that story, into that bigger story. And then the following year we did Hello, My Name is Single, which was kind of the same thing, but kind of upped the whole maybe theatrical side of it a little bit, made it a lot more silly, a lot more fun. Um, a couple of costume changes. That's <laughs> oh, all. That always makes it fun. You've got the costume changes of it as well, straight away. <laughs> and, um, but still having kind of poetry at the heart of it and kind of poetry pushing the story along. Um, with a little bit of audience participation thrown in just to make everyone oh, be under <laughs> Do you think, would you want to do another poetry play in the future, do you think, or are you not sure yet? No, definitely. I think, I think that's kind of what I want to aim for at the moment. That's one of the things I want to focus on. Um, Hello, my name is Single. I didn't get to do as much. So with Quarter Life Crisis, we got to do it three or four times at different festivals and different events. So Hello, my name is Single. I did it two or three weeks before leaving for New York. So we didn't get much time to actually take it anywhere. So I think we'd like to maybe travel around with that a bit. And then I think definitely have a few more ideas that I'd love to kind of try and take part in and write a couple more shows. Yeah, it's something like you know what you're doing about it. And then what I found interesting was on a different topic was, and you told me, told me in your notes you told me as well, that you've written a piece of your performance poetry to go into a book of essays used with publisher Rutledge. And you're also doing your, your MA degree in life poetry. You can tell where you're talking about it. You know what you're talking about. I found it really interesting that. So when you did um, a, a conference in the form with Poetry in Ireland, did you find a lot of the experience you'd gathered last few years came to that conference quite easily? Yeah, like it was, it's really cool to try and, like, it's funny when you organise a conference like that, it's almost like organising an event where you're the main audience so you get to pretty much pick all the like cool topics and cool people to come yeah, and talk yeah. um but it was really interesting it's like when i did i kind of it all kind of came together very quickly like i'd started performing poetry um like shortly before starting my masters and when i did my masters i had a completely different idea what i was going to write about and then i was like screw it i'm kind of really enjoying this i'm loving this i'm taking part in it um so i wrote my master's um, kind of on some of the work of Shane Kaizen and Buddy Wakefield, as some people might have come across. Um, and just how about, you know, like how different poetry is when it's performed than when it's written down on a page. And, you know, there's certain things you're, you want to think about or certain things you want to aim for when you're reading it live or when you're performing it live, you know, and the audience kind of gets to be part of it. And you have that connection with the audience, which is really cool. Um, so like when we did the conference, um, we got to have a lot of different voices come together, a lot of both kind of academics and a lot of writers coming in. And we had um, Stephen James Smith was kind of our main speaker, um, a great poet from Dublin. Um, some people might have come across his work as well. And we had, like, we had some online um, presentations from 
oh God, we had Ireland, we had England, we had um, someone from, I think, the Middle East even did a performance um, wow. about work, which was really cool. Oh, yeah. So it was just fantastic that all these worked together. And um, then Bath University in England um, has some great academics looking at performance poetry at the moment. And a couple of them, uh, Lucy English was the main woman I was talking to, has decided to put together a book with um, Routledge, which is coming out soon. So I put in something for that as well. Um, well kind of look at it. Thank you very much. Um, Top banana. <laughs> and yeah, it's just really cool to kind of think about, you know, how how much a live setting can kind of bring to poetry or bring to writing in general. Yeah. Now, obviously, looking at that side of things, and I know you've been doing poetry and work at schools, haven't you, as well? Now, do you want to tell people about that? Because obviously, I know a bit about how it's done in England, but Ireland's obviously Southern Ireland, we offer it's a very different ballgame altogether. Now, tell people a bit about that and how did it compare to doing like lectures at university level of it? Yeah, it's a. Very different, <laughs> very different um, audience from your 10 year olds to your 20 year olds. <laughs> oh yeah. I love it. Now I'm not, I haven't done it full time because um, I know Poetry Ireland do have schemes where they bring writers into schools. But um, thankfully um, I just know I've gotten in contact or a lot of teachers have gotten in contact with me who've seen some of my work or who've heard about the, some workshops I've done. So it's kind of just been individual um, schools asking me to come in to do workshops which has been really cool, really fun. Um, and thankfully, some of the jobs I've had in the past kind of incorporated doing work with schools anyway. So I got to kind of create a few different like workshops, kind of two, three, four hour workshops with different age groups, just to try and get kids writing, try and get kids interested yeah. in poetry, try and get them um, interested in performing as well. And like children write the most interesting things like when they have no limits when you get them motivated when you get them excited um and half the time they think they're just missing but they also write great things while they're missing so you'd have poems where two kids like two messers in the back of class start writing two poems about one of them's writing about liverpool and one of them's writing about manchester united and they're almost like battle poems and they think it's a big joke but it's fantastic or like kids writing about like video games or Fortnite or whatever, but like they're being creative, they're thinking about it, you know, they're like, you know, writing about what they know and what, like what they are interested in. And then <laughs> the secondary or kind of like the teenagers, again, it, I think people kind of forget how passionate like teenagers can be sometimes where I think sometimes we get, you know, people start thinking there's a lot of apathy there, but I've gone into schools kind of, you know, getting kids to write, and there's so much kind of passion there about, you know, politics, about um, climate change, about kids wanting their voices to be heard and wanting to try these things and having fun doing it. Yeah, completely. It's different, we're completely in a ballgame altogether, aren't we? Like teaching that from you to university, like I said before. Because I think when you first started writing, it's, and you must have been like this yourself, when you first started writing, it used to flow really quickly because just the ideas just pouring out of you, aren't you? I think you get. You do learn to think about your words more. It takes longer, doesn't it? You can really get the words right. If we can get, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, learn it basically. Instead of like a mm -hmm. twenty-piece jigsaw, you're trying to do a thousand one all the time. So yeah, getting it's fascinating. That now, obviously, I want to ask you next, Vance. I know you've performed in a lot of places. We've touched on music festivals, theatre festivals, and TV. 
I want to know more, more about your radio experience. And then the, the one that people are really interested in, including me, is your farmer's markets. Tell us about the radios first, and play A big farmer's market section of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, radio is when I got, I got a chance. Um, to be fair, RT, um, like the National Radio Station in Ireland, um, have brought me on a couple of times and been really good. Um, for when I did the conference, they brought me on to do a few performances, a couple of poems, and uh, they have a poetry show every Sunday night and on Morning Ireland as well. Um, and I think they brought me on one year for Culture Night as well, which happens every September in Ireland. And um, yeah, it's a really cool experience. I know, like, I have friends of mine who do radio plays and work in that area, which would be, they do a lot more of it than I do, but it's really nice to be in that experience and especially I suppose during these times, um, you probably know yourself, a lot of people listening, you don't get to perform live a lot. You know, a lot of it has gone online. So that kind of radio, that kind of online thing is kind of bringing a whole new world into it where, you know, people are listening, but it's not in the same room. But you still get to kind of have that experience, that communal experience together, which is really, it's really nice. I think it's really, you know, you want to have that connection when we're all locked in our houses separate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, completely. No, so it does. It is just very, very different altogether. Now, again, you played with that. Fantastic. Now, tell us about the farmers' markets, so Cameron. I want to know. About <laughs> um, I've performed in food market, food hall, or food market. I've done farmers' market. So that was that must have been somewhere completely different. Yeah. Yeah, that was when I got. Um, I did some work. I was writer in residence in 2018 for the Drummoneer and Nina Literary Festival in mm. County. Tip and um, just fantastic committee. Just it was the first time they had a writer in residence, and they really their goal was to kind of get it out to the public because I think there had been. I think sometimes you know we have this, well, understandably sometimes idea that writing festivals are for writers, and you know sometimes it's hard to kind of get it out into the to you know just the regular people like just regular people walking down the street. So they were like yeah, we want to just perform everywhere. So um, I ended up performing in, like the county council building during their like lunchtime. Wow. <laughs> um, in cafes um, and then a farmer's market one morning. Um, but like, it was great because like all of the businesses like loved the idea of having someone come in, of having something different and were so open to it. Um, and I think again, like any preconceived notions the committee had or anyone else had of like oh maybe this wouldn't work or maybe you know people wouldn't want to work with them but you know i think communities are always love to like there's to be fair in ireland i think there's a great community spirit for supporting the arts um especially in kind of smaller communities that people when given the opportunity really do want to take part really do want to be part of it um and thankfully you know a lot of my work is kind of on the comedy side which makes this a lot easier <laughs> So, you know, when you're going to a pub at nine o'clock with, you know, 20 owl lads having their pint um, and they have to listen to poetry, you know, the fact that it's comedy kind of did help the situation a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably does, doesn't it? If you go along the way, you're a little heartfelt, serious stuff. And you go into a pub that's full of people absolutely drunk. You know, it's, <laughs> it makes it much harder to engage. You know, I've been there, done that. So, yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean there, mate. So, brilliant. Now... Obviously, the last part we need to touch on today before we go and get to a few points is now, obviously, with the country in lockdown at the moment, it's very, very, it's very, very hard to ask you what you've got coming up. But do you have any sort of plans 
or directions in an ideal world where you'd like to go next? Yeah, well, hopefully, if I manage to finish college finally <laughs> this summer, um, lots of plans after that. So definitely the kind of poetry plays is an area I want to go into a lot more. We're hoping maybe even to do a bit of touring with Hello, My Name is Single. Um, and with that show, once everything kind of gets back to hopefully semi-normality, whenever it's safe to do so. Yeah, uh, looking to book a nice poetry play out there. Get in contact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Get me a message. Look forward def- definitely that one. And that's all my questions, Paul. So what we'll do is we'll take a quick break now, obviously. We're going to pause the recording and let Paul get himself a couple of these pieces ready for us all. And we're back in a few minutes, guys. Thanks again, Paul. Brilliant stuff today. It's been a really engaging story. Thank you. Because it's great because you've, you've covered an awful lot of ground there. And it's fascinating to see what, how everyone's gone from A to B to C to D. You know what I mean? Like that. Really, really interesting. Thank you today for that, Paul. I had a good interviewer, to be fair. <laughs> I'll do my best, right? So <laughs> thanks again, guys. Take care. See you in a minute. Spock on me. Hi, guys. Still here with Paul. Now, Paul's going to read up three pieces for us today. I'm looking forward to this. I saw his live set on um, oh, some night of the night, and it's been brilliant. So, over to you, Paul. All right. Thank you very much, Annie. So, uh, the first poem I'm going to perform is called Dating is Hard. So, this was an opening piece, actually, from um, Hello, My Name is Single. Um, so, it's kind of just a fun, light-hearted one about, you know, the trouble of online dating, which a lot of people might be experiencing at the moment. Dating is hard, and I don't mean to moan, it's just my grandma keeps telling me if I don't find a girl soon, I'm going to die alone. She can be a bit blunt like that. Like, I've tried every freaking app, Plenty of Fish, OkCupid, The Passion Network, Christian Mingle, but nope, still single. And of course I tried Tinder and Grindr before I realized they were not the same thing, which is a shame all the same because I got a lot more hits on Grindr than Tinder and well... There were some very nice men. So I set up a Tinder profile and I spent a while picking out a picture that I thought would capture my best angle. Turns out, I don't really have one. But I chose some anyway. And then I started swiping. But it felt weird having this binary decision of whether I thought a girl's image was impressive enough to swipe right or whose bio had a certain personality that I thought would blend well with me. Like, it was difficult. I don't like judging people too harshly and mix that with the fact that, well, I was a little bit lonely, and I swiped right on everyone. And the next day, I had matches. A total of four. Mm Mm-hmm. To the first, I said, hello. She responded, no. To the second, I said, hey. She responded, nay. To the third, I said, hi. She responded, not interested. The last, though, was a bit better. You had a message saying, hey, how are you, hon? Followed quickly by, oops, sorry, wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) But, look, I know you're thinking dating apps, really? Like, why? But look, it's just, I'm not the most outgoing guy, and it's hard to get people's attention when there's so much going on in today's world. It's hard to try and get someone to focus on you. Like, my grandparents got married when they were 21. But it was easier back then, like back in the good old days, in the 1940s, when the only competition for a girl's attention in Ireland was Jesus. But today, it's not that easy. And I've tried going to the cinema, but people there just seem to want to watch the movie, and 
I've gone to the library, but people there just seem to want to read. And I got a gym membership, but well, I never actually went. And I stopped trying to pick people up in public places because I realized I was coming across a bit of a creep. And you can put on your best outfit and try and join the local scene and pay 25 euro into the sardine club. But you can't ask a girl to dance in a nightclub because her earbuds will have already blown and she won't hear a word you say. And sometimes I try and mime the question, which is kind of a dance in itself, you might say. But that understandably scares most girls away. And I want to try dating, try and meet someone new, but clubs and apps just don't really work. And well, I'm a little bit confused and I just don't really know where the right place to go is. Thank you very much. Fantastic, mate. That brilliant. You did make me think I know somebody and I'm not naming names on there. <laughs> just um, just gone on a date with somebody on Zoom, would you believe? <laughs> For the first time I've met them on a certain website and it's a CV, really. I know you're engaged like I am. It's like it's such a surreal experience kind of thing to do that, aren't we basically? With the dating economies at the moment completely, but yeah. That was a brilliant piece, mate. Absolutely loved it. Different worlds. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much. Completely, it was mate. It kind of one of the opening pieces to the play, so it's kind of very, it's nice to have a kind of character built in as well. Yeah. So obviously it wasn't yourself that I was straight away, I guessed that. So that's obviously, like I said, it was, um, it was a character part of your piece itself. It did, it showed the character quite well there, really. So well, I, thought it was, I thought it was really engaging, so... <laughs> Anyway. Sometimes good performances are kind of just exaggerated versions of yourself in different situations. Yeah, <laughs> if you're into American wrestling, I always say Steve Austin always says, and if you're like, I can imagine, imagine saying this more poetry, but like, you're just turning the volume up on yourself, aren't you? So making it louder, mm -hmm. more outrageous. And I got that off you straight away on there. And it was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic, mate. <laughs> okay. On to number two. give a bit of a variety. Um, we'll do one... Um, more kind of serious piece and then we'll kind of go back to a bit more light hearts as well then so we won't leave everybody sad <laughs> so um, again the Hello My Name is Single kind of features a lot of dating a lot of silliness but also as kind of mentioned there at the start of that poem um, there's that kind of relationship between the main character and his grandmother as well so um, this poem is kind of about the grandmother character um, and again if anyone feels uncomfortable with it it has a little bit to do with memory loss in it as well um, but we're going to try it out. I think it's a nice poem of trying to kind of capture some of the good moments of anyone who's kind of been through that with a relative as well. So this poem is um, it's originally titled Pauline O'Kelly after my own grandmother, but it's also kind of just become the granny poem <laughs> a little bit as well too. Here we go. Visiting granny in the visiting room with the armchairs and the broken grand piano that still sometimes plays if you know which keys to use. Granny smiles, her eyes as young as ever, and she just keeps singing these old Irish songs. And she tries to get me to sing along, even though I don't know the words, but you just pretend she's lost her hearing aids again and she can't tell if you don't. But she's happy and carefree and she just has fun and she lives now in her own world and that's a place of music and splendor and the nuns in the nursing home take care of her and she's come to realize that she probably won't go home but she's okay with that and she asks how her husband is and you say he's fine you bring her a magazine and she loves this because her eyesight is better than yours and she sees everything 
she sees you and tells you you got so tall and also a little fat. And she tells those around you that you're a good scholar in school and you'll become a teacher soon. And she gets presents on her first day and Mother's Day and her birthday. And she tries to give them away because she doesn't want to have too many things. And she asks how her husband is. And sometimes you tell her the truth. You bring in your girlfriend to meet her and she smiles, says she's pretty and asks when you're getting married. I say, <laughs> not for a while, and she laughs. When I turn, she confides to her that she thinks she'll make a lovely bride. And to be fair, I am her oldest grandchild. And well, Granny's 93 and she just wants to party. And she tells you it was a sad day seeing Granddad in the hospital and it was difficult to see that man in a bed like that. She tells you it was tough and you agree and say, I'm so sorry. And then you just nod because she can't hear you because she hates to wear her hearing aids. And then she asks how her parents are. You know to tell her they're fine because the first time you didn't lie, you told her they passed away and she asks, when? You say, a long time ago. And she looks at you and asks, Why didn't anyone tell me? I didn't even get to say goodbye. And she asks what happened to her parents' home that she hasn't been to in over 40 years and you say you don't know and then you just shake your head because she can't hear you. And then she sings these old Irish songs and tries to get you to sing along. And she's free to sing and laugh and the nuns treat her well. But you gotta go now, cause it's lunchtime and she tells you you're in the way. And she laughs and smiles and you do too. Thank you very much. Everybody. Beautiful, mate. That's that's on a good writing because it shows it's different, completely different gears as a writer from your first piece. That so, but again, I could feel it was like you in a different level on your character. So, yeah, because I've got the you crossed the barrier like right there. Very, very good writing indeed. Great stuff, mate. Thank you very much. Okay, what's um, the what's the big finale then? Big finale. Um, I always liked just performing this, even though I think I'm slowly getting too old for it. <laughs> Um, so it's the, um, named after the first show that I did, um, and one of the first kind of performance pieces I did called Quarter Life Crisis. So um, I think I'll milk it for as long as I can while I'm young enough to still perform it. Yeah. To rewrite Third Life Crisis or maybe longer, <laughs> soon enough. Um, this is the final piece, and thank you all very much for listening to me. Oh, guys, I just finished college, right? And I'm out in the big bad world and I can't live on noodles and chicken rolls no more. No, I need to be a grown-up, but the world it won't hold up. It's part of the deal. It's been mean and obscene and I don't know what to do. And the world is a scary place and college was to give me a taste of what it was like, but man, this ain't nothing like college. I got bills to pay with no mom and dad to pay him. I got to go to work all day. And if I go out that night, I got to get up for work the next day or else I don't get paid. 
I ain't got no old man standing in the front room telling me it's all going to be okay. I ain't got old men screaming at me for money at the bus stop, and they won't stop. And I'm just trying to keep my life together, whether I do or not. Nobody even cares. Man, it's scary. And life took a mean plot twist. And I, I think I'm having a, a quarter-life crisis. I bought a Nintendo 64 the other day. It looked like childhood. And I should have had fun playing it, but all I could think about is I should use that money to pay for a car tax. And I need to give the money I borrowed off dad for rent back. And I ain't got no time to play this because I need to get to work before I get sacked. And I, I, I just want my blankie back. And I want my mom and dad to tell me stories about how everyone lives happily ever after and the world is full of laughter and it won't turn out like this. Because right now, I think I'm having a, a quarter life crisis. And now girls want commitment, I'm more than just kissing, and it's not about the butterflies or the tummy tingling, they want seriousness. They want a ring. I, I cannot afford that kind of bling. I need to spend my money on more important things, like car techs, Nintendo 64s. And the need about s'mores on the campfire, our time is down to the wire, and she got live timetable to a T. Working, cooking, cleaning, yoga, Pilates? Pilates? I don't know how to Pilates. You just keep saying try this and I'm just crying because I think I'm having a quarter life crisis. Man, this stuff is tough. This real life world is rough and you realize nobody really knows what's going on. There ain't no white line between right and between wrong and they say be strong. You just keep on going, keep on rowing in behind the masters bit by bit, day by day by the way. 21st B-Day. That's when the fun stops. Mm-hmm. Weight of the world plops down on your shoulders, no matter how many notes or folders education gives you, it may help for work, but not always for life or reality, but maybe, maybe that's just what life's supposed to be, a jumble up pile of crazy. Maybe that's not so bad, but well, it's still kind of scary. And I kind of just miss childhood and being a kid and that ignorant bliss. Because well, right now, I think I'm having a Water life crisis. Fantastic. Excellent stuff, Paul. Great way of finishing the session today. Thank you for that. I forgot to ask you before, Joel. I always do. If people want to find out more about you, where are the best going? Perfect. So um, I have a Twitter account at Paul McPoet, um, which you can look up, and a Facebook page at Paul McNamara Performance Pod as well. So I try and keep those updated with any shows coming up, any videos, publications, poetry stuff coming out, anything like that. Brilliant. Um, I'll get them both logged on down to the you. They were great. That was brilliant. I've really enjoyed today, Paul. It's been a pleasure chatting to you as well. Brilliant. If you have made so it to the panel, please look me up and I'll crack me. We're both going to definitely watch you. So I know what I know of my partner. She'll love you. Right, we'll chat the pants off the mate. <laughs> right, Paul, hang around. I need a quick word of off mic. Thank you again for today. It's been fantastic. I've really, really enjoyed today. So this is Andy N saying, stay safe and stay sane. As always, take care of yourself, guys. And thanks again, Paul. An absolutely superb. Thank you so much. I'll see you all soon, guys. Take care. Bye. Spoken. Thanks again for listening to another session of the Spoken Label. Our full archive can be found over on Bandcamp at Spoken Label. That's one word, spoken label, full stop, 
bandcamp.com and there is over 150 sessions there. So I'm sure that if you've enjoyed this session, there'll be something else there you can enjoy as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Spoken later.